This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to the Human Animal Connection Show, where we believe we can communicate with all animals. Join us as we explore the 33 principles and healing methods of the human animal connection. As animal lovers, we know that you share our commitment to making the world a kinder place for all creatures. Together, let's embrace the transformative healing power of the human animal connection. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Human Animal Connection Show. I'm your most fortunate host, Michael Overly, and with amazing Jeannie Joseph to talk about freedom. Jeannie. Yeah, I love freedom. <laughs> I love freedom. It is such an important thing, you know, for humans. Uh, people have died fighting for it. It's such an important concept in life. And when we have freedom of choice, we generally do better than when we don't have freedom of choice. And it's the same thing with animals. So today we're talking about how animals that are living with us, domestic animals, can have freedom of choice. And of course, we won't get started with the farm animals who have no freedom of choice, and that's a very serious issue. But today, we're just going to talk about the animals who share our lives because um, cats, dogs, horses, animals that are living in our human lifestyle are kind of at the mercy of our choices, what we feed them, when we go to sleep, when we wake up, when we walk, when we go out, etc. And so they can get what I call chooser burnout, which is that they don't feel like they have choices, and then they stop making choices, and then they get kind of disconnected and then you start seeing some bad behavior. So today is all about how can we uh, simulate or not really simulate, but how we can create moments of freedom of choice. So for example, if you're out on a walk, it isn't, uh, you know, maybe there's some walks that you're leading, but there are other walks where the dog gets to lead and they get to choose. Are we going left or right? Are we going forward or backward? Are we going to turn around here? Are we going to stop there? Are we going to take some time to sniff? If they get to make a few choices on the walk, and it doesn't have to be a million choices, it can be a few choices on the walk, that walk is so much more valuable for them and their nervous system than when we make all of the choices for them in terms of pace and direction and start and stop and when we do this and when we interact with others and when we don't. So if we're paying attention to them and letting them lead at least some portion of the walk, that is really valuable. And when we're at home, we can do a little game where we take two treats, you know, in our, you know, put it behind our back and then we present our fist with two treats in each hand and we present them to the dog. And this is not a guessing game. That's another game, which is also fun. But this one is not a guessing game. This one, they get to choose, do they want the right one or the left one first? They're going to get both but they get to choose which one they get first. And that may seem like, oh, that is so simple. How could that be useful? But it's actually good for the brain because they're going to go sniff, sniff, sniff. They're probably going to check them both. boat. They're going to make a choice for them making a choice, choosing which one they get. And then they get the second one. So it's an all positive, all reward game. There's no losing in the game. There's no guessing. They don't lose anything. This is just a simple example of how you can create some choices. And there are a lot of little games that you can play like that around the house that where they get to make a choice, this or that, this toy or that toy, you know, this game or that game, whatever is kind of easy and comfortable in, in your world to give them a sense of choice and to pay attention to what they choose. I yeah, love that so that much. The, the walk is such a big deal, right? We, yeah. We, we tend to see it as a chore. Right? I have to get my dog out. Right. Uh, what if it could be enriching for both of you? So, exactly. Yeah, we do. We do command free walks, right? I really, I won't correct her. I won't say left, right, 
uh-huh. whatever. And I uh-huh. just let her do her thing. And, um, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll see if I can guide a little bit. Yeah. I actually have to go home at some point. Right. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really interesting and in how calm she gets yes. when, when no one's barking at her. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> you know, it, it's just like, it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, when we want to punish people in our society, we put them in prison, we take away choices. And the worst thing we can do to them is put them in solitary where they have zero choices, you know? Um, so this is, this is something that we want to think about how important it is for a dog to feel a sense of choice. And it, it restores their will, their sense of self. If they can have some parts of the day where they get to make choices and you know they're they're making lots of choices if they're living in a healthy environment you know like i'm going to sleep here i'm going to walk here i'm going to go engage now you know but we want to you know make as many more opportunities as we can like you said on the walk and maybe not every walk is one of these kinds of walks but could one once a week once a day be that walk where they get to make all the choices. And then, you know, there are other times where you can work on training exercises is fine, where we get to tell them what, what it is that we would like and request, make a request rather than a command, but make a request and give them a choice to comply and they comply and they get a treat. So that's really good too. So it's not like there's only one way that we're going to interact, but thinking about freedom of choice, does my dog have freedom of choice? And maybe your dog has a lot or a little. Some dogs are you know, sleeping in a crate all night or sleeping in, or forced to be in a crate all day or, you know, they, they have very little choice. And then the minute they get choice, they're going to kind of explode a little because they've been choice deprived. So it's basically, I think, a, a right of beingness, a sacred right to have at least some autonomy, some choices that that the dog can make. And when I, you know, take home, uh, sometimes I'll take home a, a, a shelter dog, a rescue dog, just for an afternoon or something to give them a little break from the shelter. And one of the things that I really focus on, especially if they're shy and traumatized, just let them make choices. I'll let them go out in the yard. Do they want to sit? Do they want to uh, walk? Do they want to run? Do they want to be in the sun or the shade? Do they want to drink water? Do they want to engage with me? Do they want to chase the birds? What do they want to do? And just watching them make choices, you can like see their spirit come back online. Because of course, in the shelter environment, they don't get many choices at all. They are uh, walking when it's you know the time is to walk, and they eat when it's the time to eat, and they get just the moment of interaction when the person you know the volunteer can walk them. They get almost no choices. They are at the mercy of the scents that are all around them, the sights that are all around them, the smells, tastes, sounds, all of that. It's bombarding their senses and they can't do anything about it. They can't get away from the senses, the the invasion of the senses that happens in a shelter environment. And I'm not blaming shelters. I'm just saying that it's a tough gig for a dog. Thank God for shelters or there'd be a lot of dead dogs on the street. But um, we need to recognize that they are being choice deprived. And I, I, when I teach at the shelters, I encourage volunteers. I say, can you give the dog just some choice time on that walk? You know, can they choose left or right, when to stop, when to, what pace to go at or whatever, whatever the person can manage. Um, it will really go a long way to rebalancing that dog's sense of autonomy and dignity. But, but it's not just dogs, right? It's, yeah. it's other animals that share our homes and sometimes animals that don't share our homes. Right. Yeah. I mean, like even when we look at zoos, if if they're in a very small confined area, then their choices are limited. And, you know, these wild big animals are not meant to be in, in that kind of situation. So the more zoos can give some freedom of choice, more space, more choices what to eat. So that's not just feeding them at the time of the of the feeding schedule, but that there's 
trees that they can munch on or something, you know, there, there's some more choices. This is going to go um, a long way to helping them feel better. And many animals in many zoos are actually on Prozac because they are so disturbed by the circumstances that they're in. And a lot of people don't realize that there are a lot of zoo, you know, attempted escapes. They're not all successful, but a lot, there's a lot more escapes than people realize. And sometimes these animals are euthanized if they start escaping too much because they feel they can't control them. And it's because the animals have no choice. They they don't have a choice about being there. And then they have no choice within their day about what they're going to do or who's going to interact with them or whatever. So it's just something to think about. You know, it's not something to feel guilty about, but it is something to just think about. How can I um, play more choice games where the dog gets to choose what game we play with or what treat I get first or, or how long we're going to do something or anything like that. Anytime they're making a choice, they are helping their nervous system and you are helping the relationship. I mean, and we all want that, right? We all Nobody want wants to get stuck in a cubicle for right. 12 hours straight. You have to right. be able to get up and go to the bathroom. And we take right. these things for granted. And then we, we keep these animals caged in captivity, whatever the situation, even zoos and wild animal parks, they have, a little more room, but it's still, it's not natural for them. Not the amount of room that they need to thrive and be healthy. And I, you know, I want to tell you about an organization called Animals Asia, and they have been um, rescuing moon bears because there has been a superstition for a very long time in certain Asian countries that bear bile leads to male virility in humans. And so they, they mine their bile. They're on, they're on a constant drip, you know, of where they get their bile. And they're, in order to do this, they have to be restrained 24-7. So they are in a cage where they can't move. They never get to see the sun or be on the grass or have any medical care or anything like this. And this group has done a tremendous tremendous amount to make public awareness and they put a lot of pressure on the Vietnamese government and they're making tremendous progress with it. But they have rescued, uh, I think, about 700 of these moon bears. And these are really sweet little cuddly things. And what's so exciting about them is that once they get, you know, first they come to the facility, the sanctuary, and they get medical treatment and they're in, they're in isolation at first. But once they are, are you know, healthy, they begin to introduce them to the other moon bears. And it's so cute. You can see videos online of these. Then they call them moon bears because they have a little crescent moon uh, around their neck. You know, they're kind of brown or black and they have this yellow crescent moon. They're very cute. And to see them come alive, you know, to to re recognize that they have choices. And they have this big yard that they play in where they can find their own food. I mean, they get fed regularly, but they also high treats for them to find and they so they forage and they begin to do normal behaviors and they begin to interact with others and play in the water and splash around like little kids and it's just beautiful to see that these bears who've been um, basically in cages their entire life you know never moved learning to use their muscles again learning to interact learning to make choices and feeling the taste of freedom for the first time so it's a beautiful organization if you'd like to support it's one of the organizations I support. So it just really moves me to see animals that have been spent their whole life in captivity can often come back um, with the right love and care and structure to a somewhat normal life, not completely normal. You know, they still have the a little bit of PTSD, but but it's amazing how much being with their own kind and playing and making choices, having some choices can help that process heal. And when we look at, you know, people in the military, one of the challenges is, is that they've been in a situation where they had relatively few choices. They're told what to wear, when to eat, when to sleep, when they can bathe, all these, you know, talking about active duty here. And then what happens is they get chooser burnout. 
So then they go back to civilian society and remember that movie Hurt Locker where he has to go to the grocery store and his wife says, can you go get the breakfast cereal thinking it's like a nothing task because for her it's a nothing task. But for him being faced with like a hundred boxes of cereal when he's been on, you know, military diet, it's just like overwhelming. It's meaningless to look at all those boxes. He doesn't know which one to choose and the task is overwhelming and he freaks out and can't get the cereal. And she goes, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, Why can't you do a simple task and help me out? Don't you love me? <laughs> and it's really that he has choose or burnout. You know, the muscle has been misused or not used enough. Or if a person has been also in the military where they've had to make a lot of life and death choices, you can get choose or burnout. So you can get it from having to make too many choices or are having made too little either way, like either overstimulated or understimulated results in what I call choose or burnout. That's my term for it. And the way we restore it is by gently making conscious choices that don't have a lot of significance. Do I want to wear the blue shirt today or the red shirt today? You know, it's not life and death. Um, it's okay if I make the wrong choice. And just getting used to what does it feel like when I think about wearing the blue shirt? What does it feel like when I think about wearing the red shirt? And just connecting the sensation of, oh, okay, well, the blue shirt feels right today. I need more cooling energy or I need more dynamic energy. I'm going to wear the red shirt. Just paying attention to how the choice feels invites the chooser to go, okay, it's safe to choose because somebody's going to listen to me. Because it's just like a, a a child. If you don't pay attention to their requests, they'll stop making them. Same thing with the dog. If the dog is communicating with you in, in, in terms of body language or whatever else, and you're not paying attention, they'll stop communicating. They'll stop telling, you know, because they're figuring, well, why should I? They're not listening. Yeah, no, absolutely. One that's, that translates right to humans, if we don't feel safe, you know, we understand how our dog can behave a certain way now. Well, some of us do. Mm -hmm. um, but when we don't feel safe, we're not going to make great decisions for ourselves either. That's right. right? So yeah. we're going to shy away from things. We're going to do the wrong things. Um, yeah, right. that's really interesting. And that's what happens, you know, people with PTSD, like they come back from, you know, combat situations and they with, with choose a burnout and they'll either do one of two things. They'll either be unable to make a decision, like everything is just too overwhelming, like the cereal box, I'm just going to get out of here. Or they make impulsive decisions, meaning that it's so uncomfortable to have to make a choice that they'll just make the fastest, easiest one, not necessarily the best one. So it's the ability to tolerate the process of choosing to be able to just breathe and say, okay, so what feels good? And this is what, when we see animals beginning to make choices, we see them coming back into a much healthier state very quickly. It really, it's it's amazing to see what even a half hour of freedom of choice can do for them. And we should train people this way too. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, this would be a great place to take a break. Sounds good. Okay, we'll see you folks in a minute. Hey friends, if you like what you're hearing and want to learn more, check out Dr. Joseph's book, The Human-Animal Connection, Deepening Relationships with Animals and Ourselves. Or visit the website, thehumananimalconnection.org to book an online consultation. Thank you for loving animals. Now back to the show. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hey folks, welcome back. Excited to talk about more freedom and you have some amazing examples for us. Let's I really do, that. but let me just start. I want to explain in the UK, United Kingdom, they created something called the five freedoms. And this has been accepted by 
uh, shelter veterinarians is kind of like the gold standard. And I want to kind of go through them because they're really important to think about. So the first is freedom from hunger and thirst. And that's why I say like, it's real easy to say, oh, shelters are horrible places. But then we start to realize, well, there are some things they're doing really well. Okay. So in the, in most shelters, there there is freedom from hunger and thirst. They're getting fresh food every day or some kind of food, every day, at least dog food every day. I shouldn't say fresh. <laughs> they're getting daily dog food and they are getting their water. And the next one is freedom from discomfort. So that has to do with, you know, like, let's say being exposed to weather conditions or, or, um, bullying dogs or ha in Arizona, we have javelina, which are wild, wild boar. And, you know, so they are free from those kinds of predators that, that might be if they were running wild on the streets or cars and so on. Freedom from pain, injury, or disease. So hopefully most shelters have a veterinary staff and are paying attention. And freedom to express normal behavior. Now, that's one that's not going as well as it could. And we're going to talk about that in the shelter. That's one of the things that we need to get shelters to move towards um, is more freedom to express normal behavior. And then freedom from fear and distress. So hopefully there's no one there that's terrifying, but often there are dogs that are kind of bullies or scary or, you know, if a dog comes in and they're not afraid of dogs, by the time they leave, they will be <laughs> or often are, you know. So there's a lot of deterioration that goes on if a dog spends more than two weeks is sort of the the traditional thinking is that more than two weeks in a shelter, you're going to start to see deterioration. That's pretty much the accepted concept. But of course, in shelters, many dogs now are there a lot longer than two weeks. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's um, it's wonderful that we're making progress with that, with not euthanizing just because they've been there two weeks. But the fact is many dogs are, we have dogs that have been in the shelter over a year. So some, it's just, it's a tough situation. So those are the five freedoms that hopefully every shelter is, is doing or working towards doing. And in the human animal connection, we talk about three domains that we think are really important. So we look at the first realm, which is physical conditions. So that's kind of what the shelters are are doing their best with, with the resources that they have, you know, to make the physical conditions at least uh, to sustain life, not necessarily to thrive, but to sustain life. Okay, so they are doing that. The natural behaviors, that's what the volunteers do. They kind of help take the dog out, give them a little bit of love, take them for a walk, give them a treat, you know, give them a little bit of training, uh, some positive attention. So that's really, really important. And the third domain is what we talk about in the human-animal connection, which is being very, very important. And that's called uh, in the sciences, affective states, meaning A-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E. -E. So that is the, what the fancy term for emotional states, how the animal is feeling. And in, from the point of view of the human-animal connection, when we volunteer at the shelter, of course, we're doing all the things that have to be done in terms of walking and, and taking good care of their physicality. But the next thing that we're concerned with is making sure that we're attending as best we can to the dog's emotional state. So if we see a dog that's understimulated, we want to help that dog get a little more engaged with life. If we see a dog that's overstimulated, we want to help them get calm. Actually, we want to help all dogs get calm because getting calm helps balance. But we're really looking to see, does this dog need more stimulation or less stimulation, mm -hmm. more calm or more engagement, more play? And we do our best to attend to whatever it is that we recognize the dog needs in emotional terms. Now, in a shelter environment, there's not enough staff. They don't have like an emotional person on staff. You know what I mean? They have behavior people in some cases, and they have play. In our shelter, we're very fortunate. We have a Dogs Playing for Life program, which means that the dogs get out to play with each other. Uh, so that's 
tremendously valuable. Um, what The one thing that I would add, if I could wave my magic wand, would be that all shelters would have a, an emotion team, you know, a team that is paying attention to what does that dog need, a love team. Do they need more cuddling? Do they need more quiet? Do they need more play? Do they need more cuddles? What is it that they need to help them be in a, in a more balanced state because that is what's going to get them adopted because when people see a balanced dog they can't resist when they see a scared dog or an anxious dog or possibly slightly aggressive dog they're going to walk the other direction uh, as fast as you can blink but when they see a dog that's patient and calm and looks you in the eye and wants to connect it's like it's very hard to walk past that cage <laughs> That's amazing. I, yeah, God, wouldn't it be great if we could have emotional teams associated with all these shelters, even maybe a group yeah. that be, could be called in as a specialty? Exactly. Um, you know, and 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 people do their best. You know, there are different groups doing different things, and some people come in and do Reiki, which is wonderful, energy healing, and that's all good. Anything that people are doing is a good thing. But a lot of people don't really understand like we have 33 principles in the human animal connection and they all attend to the affective states, the emotional states, the emotional needs of animals. And starting from recognizing that they have opinions, that they have wants and needs and desires and to begin to attend to that as best we can doesn't mean that they're going to get everything that they want all the time, but as best as we can, we say, Oh, you know, this dog needs some contact and some love, or this dog needs some trust or, or this dog needs some quiet. I had one dog where we had a room where we could go into do some healing work. And I would take this big old pity who was, you know, raised to be a fighting dog and really a ferocious, just when, you know, one of these big tank dogs, but she, uh, he was so scared and we, we would go into the room and all he wanted to do was go to sleep. And it was so important to let him do that because in the shelter environment with all the barking, they're not getting a chance to go into the deep REM sleep. You know, they're, they're always getting interrupted and dogs actually will nap a lot if, if, if they don't have other things to do, which is a good thing, actually, you know, we don't want them to nap all the time, but we, we definitely want them to have nap time. They need a nap during, <laughs> they need to nap. And so this dog was so tired from shaking and from the fear that he would just go in and rest. And I would just come and let him nap for 45 minutes and take him back. And, you know, and then he got adopted because he was just, he, he was, his name was Dante at the shelter. And it just made such a difference that he could get this deeper relaxation. And then a family adopted him with kids. It was wonderful. He sleeps with them, he eats with them. It's just beautiful to see this big old scary, like, you know, the faces the side of, of a basketball, you know, and he's just a sweetheart. He's a total sweetheart. Well, I think most people don't even realize how they show up in their emotional states. Right. right? They, they, they know they're uncomfortable. They know they don't like something. They don't like something someone said, but they don't understand their own emotion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is how they're showing up, but they don't get it. Yes, so, yes. And it's the same with the dogs. They, yep. they they need different things at different times, and that's okay. That's right. They need different levels of stimulation or lack of stimulation at different times. And, you know, when we work with the veterans, they don't necessarily want to talk about emotions. But if I say, let's talk about freedom of choice. Do you choose the blue shirt or the red shirt? They can deal with that. And it's like, that's a way in. And through connecting with the pleasure of choosing something, they begin to reconnect with their true senses, which are often offline. You know, they can't feel what they really want or you mm. ask them, where do you want to eat? I don't know. <laughs> what do you want to eat? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you want the chicken or the steak? Mm -hmm. right. right. So just yeah. let's just simplify do two things. It. 
Yeah, yeah. make it simple. Say, yeah. do you want to eat Chinese food or Italian? Not where do you want to eat in, in a, with a person who's got choose or burnout. You just want to give them two choices. And if there are really realistically four choices, we'll start with, let's eliminate two. Which don't you want? You don't want Vietnamese right now. You don't want Thai food right now. Okay, great. You want Italian or Chinese? You know, whatever it is. You know, this is, uh, that's, yeah, little Lucy back there. Our, she's boarding with us. So she's a rescue from a reservation. Those of you who are watching the video, we just saw Lucy walk by. <laughs> she's very, very sweet. <laughs> and it's really, you know, what's really funny. Speaking of choices, we have all of the dogs have multiple beds in this house, aside from the fact that they also use the human beds, but they have their own beds, right? And they're sort of size, sized for the dog or whatever. So what's really funny is that the dogs love to choose the bed that's not theirs. <laughs> so I got this huge $100 bed for Lulu, our big 56 pound dog that we're fostering. Fancy bed, right? <laughs> Who buys a $100 bed for a dog you're fostering? I do. So, okay. So Lulu has this big bed, which she loves, but Sophia, my 25 pound dog who has I think eight beds in the house will often go sleep in Lulu's bed and Lulu will try to sleep in Sophia's little bed, which she's right now she's half in Sophia's little bed, which half of her body fits in, but she's, it's comfortable for her. That's her choice, right? She can choose. And Lucy and Sophia, who are about the same size, they're constantly trading beds. Like Lucy has this little fluffy thing from her purse and brought a little fluff, a poofy bed, which Sophia once had and she rejected. So I never got another one. But uh, so L Lucy will go in Sophia's bed and Sophia will go in Lucy's bed. And it's just, it's just what they do. It's just fun. You know, it would be ridiculous to try to correct that or change that. It's really fun to let them choose their beds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And so it's just, you know, little things like that, the toys. Do you want to play with this toy or that toy? Just give them a choice, let them choose, and they can have the other one. There's no right or wrong. There's no loss. Most games and human games have win or lose. So these are win win. You can win this one or you can win that one. It's not a win lose. But this helps them feel, oh, they get to choose which toy they're going to play with. And I even give them a choice of water. Like I'll have different types of water. I'll have the filtered water. Everybody gets filtered water. But they also have a choice of tap water. And you know, it's interesting. Some people say, why do you give your dogs tap water? Well, I put them both down and I see what they want. And sometimes they want the filtered water. And sometimes they want the tap water because the tap water does have some minerals that the filtered water doesn't. And I have to just trust that they know if they need some of that, you know, some of that good old city water, you know, especially the shelter dogs are used to that. Lulu's, Lulu will choose the, the the city water over the filtered water mm -hmm. all, most of the time. That's okay. You know, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to give them both choices and let them, let them make a choice. And I'm assuming that they're making the choices best for them in the moment. And that, that has a respect of animal wisdom that we as humans sometimes forget. We think that we can make all the choices for them and we're right. And sometimes we're right, but sometimes we're not right. And sometimes we need to let the animals show us what's the right choice for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge point. You know, we, I think it makes us feel better to think that we're right. We're doing the right thing for an animal, yeah. but yeah. You know, yeah, there, there's a lot of wisdom that they that they have that um, we can learn from. Yeah, yeah. I had, you know, one client who was only giving her dog filtered water and the dog stopped drinking water and she called me and said, what to do? And I said, try some tap water. And she was shocked, you know, <laughs> that I would suggest that her, you know, pedigree dog should have drink tap water. But uh, it was getting serious. So we, I told her what to do. We put some, actually some freeze-dried liver in the tap water and that solved the whole problem. Just a couple little... So the water had a great scent and it was so important to get the dog 
back to drinking water. So sometimes we have to pay attention to what the dog is saying to us that that maybe that the filtered water was the wrong pH for her. Do you know what I mean? So even though it might be quote unquote pure and most dogs should have that most of the time, doesn't mean that that's what they should have all the time. And giving them the choice lets them choose what's right. This is fascinating because indigo sometimes won't drink from her water bowl inside. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me, but she likes to go and drink from her water bowl outside. So we, yes, we, I say, Oh, you, do you need some porch water? And she stands up and she yeah. <laughs> open the back door and she races out and gets a drink. Right. It, it's the same water. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's, both, both in stainless it, steel bowls, both in yeah. the same filter, okay. comma, but uh -huh, it's uh -huh. porch water. Right. Well, it has you had the, some sun maybe or some other weather or other sense or, mm. you know, who knows what it's getting from being outside um, porch water. So it's the same thing with cats. You know, they you put water down with their food and they're not interested, but you put a, a little bowl of water by your nightstand and they're going to drink that, you know, so it could be the same water. So there's sometimes we just need to let them make some choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Hey. <laughs> yeah. And so I think in our next episode, we're gonna well you know i'm not positive what's our next episode so never mind <laughs> i won't say what the next one well no no so the next one um is the soul of an animal yeah well i think because we're out of order that might not be our next one but i know that's <clears throat> coming up soon so anyway we'd love to have you on our next episode whatever it is i know it's gonna be good <laughs> awesome well thank you Jeannie, so much and everybody else look forward to seeing you again soon yeah we'll say aloha for now Thank you for tuning in to The Human-Animal Connection Show. Please visit our website, thehumananimalconnection.org. There you can sign up for our free email newsletter, book a consultation, or check out our blogs and resources. Our best-selling book, The Human-Animal Connection, is available on Amazon. And your donation of any amount keeps our nonprofit organization providing life-changing services. You can reach Michael Overly, author of Let Your Dog Lead, Musings on How to Create an Exceptional Life, on his website at dogsandmen.com or email michael at dogsandmen.com. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.